Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Natasha Nelson, who many of us know her as Supernova Mama. She is the mother of two neurodiverse Black girls and has become a resource for honest Black motherhood, self-care, pregnancy, and family building. And we are extremely excited to hold space for and with her today. Hello, Natasha. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me and I'm happy to be here. Yes. So can you first start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Absolutely. So hi, my name is Natasha, but I like to be called Tosh. Um, And uh, I am a veteran, disabled veteran, um, who has been married to my husband. I met him while I was in the military and he's a veteran as well. Um, and we met in the military in Germany while we were both having a good old time. <laughs> uh, we met very young, so we decided that we were in love and we wanted to be married, but we also wanted to allow each other to be young and have fun. And so we held off on having kids for about five years. Uh, and then eventually we had our two beautiful, neurodiverse black girls. Um, we have Paris and Riley. Paris is two years old, Riley is 15 months, um, and I stay at home now with the girls uh, because of everything that's going on with their um, autism and early intervention and things like that. Um, while their father, um, he works, well, right now, of course, pandemic, he works from home, but normally he, he works and he also does the Army Reserve so we can have that insurance to take care of our babies. Um, we cloth diaper, we baby wear, we breastfeed, we co-sleep, we make our own uh, body butters and soaps and detergent, uh, baby wear, we conscious parent, we don't spank, and all the other stuff that my mom and all of my family on my mom's side calls hippie. So <laughs> that's us. <laughs> <laughs> that my mom calls it that new age parenting. <laughs> Uh, you mean we're breaking trauma bonds and cycles okay (laughs) yeah my mom is like because my mom she she she's kind of here she's like some of that stuff ain't new that's what them hippies used to do in the 70s exactly okay tasha can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy and which pregnancy you're choosing to share today? So I'm going to choose to share my first pregnancy just because I think it's a really important message and uh, a lot of things happen the first time around. Um, so sh- absolutely. First off, um, after hearing my whole life that I better not get pregnant and I better do everything possible and use all of the birth control possible to not get pregnant, um, when me and my husband decided to get pregnant, I had fertility issues. <laughs> so uh, I took out the IUD and then after we kept trying, we eventually were told, you know, that sometimes it can take up to a year after taking out your IUD before you can actually conceive children. Um, we were trying, trying, trying. And when we, uh, we actually had a miscarriage um, and when we eventually uh, did become pregnant is kind of when we had given up. Um, and my husband took me to Paris uh, to make me, uh, for my birthday, to make me forget. And we had a really great time with champagne and oysters, and then I got pregnant. Um, so 
<laughs> so, um, and the pregnancy was hard from the beginning. Um, I was very sick, um, which, you know, I didn't think anything of it. Everybody tells you that if you have morning sickness, that means the baby's super healthy. Um, and so we didn't really get any really bad fears um, until I was 16 weeks. Um, they gave us the option to do something called a quad test, genetic testing. Um, we agreed to do it because we knew my husband carried the sickle cell trait. Um, and because I don't know my father's heritage or DNA or any information, genetic makeup on my father's side. So we just wanted to be safe. Um, and so we took the quad test and results came back extremely high. Um, uh, I think it was the highest that they'd ever seen uh, for a chance of our, our, our child having a, um, well, we knew she was a girl at that time, so 16 weeks, having a genetic disorder. Um, and so from there, I was immediately moved to high risk. Um, at 16 weeks, I was having to go and be monitored and the baby was having to go and be and be monitored for a certain period of time weekly every week. Um, I was immediately put told that I wasn't allowed to work out anymore, which was was weird for me because at that time I was a marathon runner. I was a serial workout. I was working out five times a week. And, and so I was told I, I couldn't work out anymore. Um, and so we kind of did as much research as we can. We were more so thinking um, of chromosome, chromosome disorders, such as Down syndrome and things like that. Um, and we were, you know, preparing ourselves. And then once I got to 30, once I got to 26 weeks, I started having Braxton hits. Once I got to 36 weeks, I started having something called prodromal labor. And ladies, I hope you've never experienced it. If you have, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so uh, not a lot of people know about prodromal labor. So prodromal labor is not Braxton Hicks in that you actually are having regular intervals uh, between 10 to, it could be anywhere from, sometimes they were eight, from eight to 20 minutes uh, between your contractions. And those contractions are, elevating and getting and getting stronger in pain and pain and force but you are not dilating at all you are not your labor is not intensifying it's like a pre-labor and i had those for two weeks continually it waking me up out of my sleep stopping me from doing things at home and it was the first time first time pregnancy first time mom so continually thinking, oh, it's the time, it's labor, we gotta go. And going back and forth to the hospital, coming back, it's not being frustrated, not knowing what's going on. Um, and so eventually we just, um, we decided that I was gonna just do what I need to do to get the baby out. Because uh, <laughs> it was so awful that I um, started developing high blood pressure. They were warning about preeclampsia. And so we were, we were getting scared. Um, and we had a doula and the doula just recommended twerking, uh, sidestepping and stability ball jumping. And so that is what, it was one whole day of me dancing all in my house to uh, reggaeton and old 90, uh, 95 uh, Freak music from Atlanta and <laughs> in my house. <laughs> and then going, taking a, taking a break from that so I don't overexert 
hurt myself going outside and, and walking. So you take a curb, I think it's called curb walking, and you walk one foot on the curb, one foot on the flat land, and you walk there, and then you walk on the other side up and down the street. Then we would sidewalking um, and then take a break, go into the stability ball and bounce on the stability ball and rock and roll and move your hips around on the stability ball and then back to twerking. Um, <laughs> and so I did that um, and, was, and doing that and having my doula walk me through that allowed me to have my child naturally because I tried to induce me because they were scared of what was happening with the prodromal labor and already planned to have doing what I did, I was able to <laughs> uh, to go into labor naturally um, and bring my family and everyone in for the actual birth. You know, you brought up some really great tips and tools and I hope everybody when they listen, <laughs> write down <laughs> those. Really ball bouncing and curb walking will get you far. Um, yeah, curb walking and stair walking. Yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> they work. Yes. Because my, my doula is a holistic doula. So she tried the witch's brew. The witch's brew has not worked for me twice. And I know it works for so many women. It has not worked for me twice. But twerking gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, I, you know, prodromo labor is a beast. I have not um, experienced it myself, but have had clients who have, and I, it's another layer of birth that we don't, that people don't know about, or or that we're not t like talking about mm -hmm. as much. That there is a mm -hmm. thing where like you, you're, you're having active labor. Um, pains and, and, and symptoms, but your body yes. is not responding. Um, and that can be sometimes a couple of days or in your case, like a couple of weeks. Um, and just saying mm -hmm. all of that to add and on. And I think like, my doctor was, was, I was trying to explain him because he kept saying, um, he said, um, well, how is the pain really bad? And I said, no, it's like a five or a six. It's not to bone tearing, but I'm continually having this five or six pain. Right. Every day, even in my sleep, and it's not stopping. That is a problem for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is a lot of um, mental work and prep work to to get to that, to get through that, mm -hmm. and then know like I'm I still haven't even gotten to full active labor yet. So <laughs> something's got to give. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Um, and it can lead to inductions, right? So you're constantly going in and out and you're just wanting some extra support and then they start offering other things, right? So yeah, like you said, you're able to start your own, own labor versus having to be induced, which can start that whole cycle of interventions where you just kind of one thing after another can happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and so thinking and that's what I was so afraid of, because I'd already said I didn't want Pitocin and things like that in the first place because I wanted the natural birth. And so the first thing they showed me the sheet for the induction, the thing they had on there was Pitocin. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I immediately called my doula and she was like, well, there are natural induction things. She said, I think we can get you to go into labor naturally. So let's try that. So <laughs> there we were. Right, right. 
And so um, something, you know, um, you had brought up, you had done, done the testing and had gotten back the results. Was there um, prep work on that end that was provided for you about preparing for what that might, like what might you need to do for baby after, after birth? Or was it kind of like, we'll see once baby's here? So what they, the monitoring every week, they were looking, they were scanning and doing ultrasounds to look and see if they had any signs of the many signs that they have for, I believe it's about 22, because they were really looking for chromosome uh, disorders. Um, and so they kept reviewing her. And by the time we got to like 36 weeks, I was out of the zone, but they couldn't find anything that showed that she had any type of chromosome disorders. And we'll get back to that because as you know, she's neurodiverse. So, uh, but, but for chromosome disorders, they see any issues. So they didn't really give us any briefs or anything. It was also kind of a, we think, you know, you had a very high risk, but you may have been lucky enough to bypass all of that. And so now you just need to concentrate on having a good birth. Got it. Thank you. And so with that, yes, can you tell us about your birth? <laughs> yes, I tried to stop like right before the birth. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I did. So, um, of course, we did the twerking and stability ball and everything like that. And I could tell the difference in the, because of course I've been having um, contractions for two weeks, but I could tell the difference in the contractions, but I was so, I've been to the hospital, you guys, I want to say maybe five times. So I was so jaded that I was like, no, I'm going to go lie down and eat first and we'll see after that. I'll just deal with pain. I'm not going to the hospital till I'm sure. I want to be like, I want to punch somebody in pain <laughs> because I'm not going to this hospital again. <laughs> and so <laughs> I laid down <laughs> and my husband, my husband laid down with me and then I woke up and sure enough, I think I yelled him, but I woke up out of my seat like, oh! And I was like, okay, it's time to go, let's go. <laughs> so I got to the hospital. I, I I was about what, let's see, I think I was seven, seven centimeters dilated. So we were good to go. Um, they moved to a, a, a room. I did not want a water birth at that time. I was too scared. I was like, I don't want it because I, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be the mom who's going to defecate on herself, and I don't want to be in a pool with defecation. So, <laughs> so I, did. I didn't want the water birth at that time, but I wanted the squatting bar. So they brought the squatting bar in for me. We had our own peanut ball. We had our own stability ball. We had our own... Uh, I was I was the extra old, <laughs> and I had a twerking playlist, um, and so we get into the hospital. And uh, since I was seven centimeters, of course, I still had to work through a little bit of labor. And so my doula did a lot, uh, and my, taught my husband where pressure points were on my body to help me through the contractions. And so what we would do is between contractions, I would knock on a stability ball and dance and twerk. And then when uh, a contraction would come, I would tell my hus husband it's coming and he would push into my pressure points in my hips um, or in my lower back. Um, so to walk me through the contraction, because I didn't, of course, I didn't use any drugs. Um, and 
Now, because I'm still considered high risk, they had to monitor the baby at that time. And this hospital, I say this because we're not going to talk about my second child's hospital, but shout out to my second child's hospital. They had blue monitors. But uh, for this pregnancy, they didn't. And so I had to like twerk while holding the monitor to make sure that they could still see the baby. So I was kind of just <laughs> holding my ribs while I was, while one hand was going and hitting the stability ball. <laughs> or my husband would be trying to push in my hips while someone else would be holding the monitor. Because <laughs> uh, the doctor was very, she was okay. I see you have your, your whole plan, your birth plan and everything. She said, and that's all fine, but I have to be able to see this baby with everything that's been going on. I can't, for, for my uh, insurance and purposes, I can't not see this baby. So I was like, okay, so somebody, my doula would be holding the monitor and my husband would have pressure points and then they would switch out. Um, and then my mom was there also. And so people, everyone would, would kind of switch out because apparently I, I haven't done it, but pressing pressure points is, is hard work. <laughs> from a pregnant woman <laughs> so <laughs> so they were all switching out all three of them um and i had a long labor i want to say just to get from seven to to uh, 9.5 uh centimeters because of my water never broke um but it was about 10 maybe 12 hours i want to say 10 hours maybe um but i i got through it um because the pressure points made it where it wasn't that bad. The dancing made it where it wasn't that bad. And it did not feel like 10 hours when you're in the thick of it <laughs> uh, at all. Um, and then, uh, they, they did a really good job making me laugh. And we had a really good playlist. So I was, I was jamming to those songs. And so <laughs> um, now what's interesting is when I, when I, was, uh, I decided at 10 hours, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do this too much longer. Um, is, is there, is there something wrong? Why is my water not, you know, why is my water not breaking? And they were like, oh, you know, about 90% of women's water don't break. You know, you have, it, usually it has to be manually broken. I was like, why are you telling me this? I'm just talking. <laughs> and not centimeters for like two hours, done. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, please break my water. Uh, <laughs> and they broke, broke my water and immediately my daughter started pushing <laughs> herself out immediately. And I'm like, that's all this could have been done <laughs> a long time ago. But so uh, the, uh, the real doctor come in. So military hospitals, um, they usually have an on-call doctor uh that that serves so normally i didn't get this treatment because of my cir circumstances but normally you they want you to see every doctor that is uh works in the hospital every, of course midwife and OBGYN, um so that you at least know the doctor that might be having taking care of your baby depending on when you come in i didn't get that treatment because of my high risk i had the same midwife the whole time um, so the doctor that was on call is not the midwife I've been seeing that entire time. Um, and so when that doctor, when they told that doctor that I was ready to push, it was a her, and they told her to come on in, 
and she saw me on this with the squatting bars, squatting, ready to push. She said, uh, <laughs> and I was, and my dude was like, is everything okay? Because of course, I'm not talking. I'm holding my husband's hand, and she was like, I've never done this birth before. And my dude was like, well, this is how she wants to birth. Um, and you have a squatting bar, a bar in here. So I would hope that you all have been trained on the equipment that you have in here. And if this is how she wants to birth and this is where she feels secure, I hope you honor that. And so it was the doctor's first squatting birth. Um, and she, uh, I think my daughter, she, she did really well. Uh, my daughter, I think, um, came out and then somebody said something or told me to stop or maybe I just stopped, but I closed in around her eye and she, she told me, she said, you can't stop. You know, she, and she got, she gave me a really good motivational speech and I pushed my daughter on out with her help and she caught her. My mom cut the umbilical cord. Uh, Cause my husband was like, that's really not important to me. I don't know why they think that's my role. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> especially because um, it was delayed. We, you know, we decided we wanted to wait 10 minutes to cut the cord. So at that, he's already mooning over me and the baby and everything. They're like, oh, you want to cut the cord? And he's like, I don't care about that. My kid, my mom, my wife over here. <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So, but she did phenomenal. And she actually thanked me because she said, you know, she'd never done, we were in Kansas. Uh, military so uh, she was she'd never done anything like that and she thought it was beautiful and and when I looked around I realized I was a freak show because half the hospital's doctors were in the room <laughs> and I had no idea that it happened um, be, they said it was a combination they had heard about the twerking and, and started milling in to watch that and then, but I had, had no idea, had never been paying attention to them. Um, and then they heard, when they, they saw me squatting, they said they called doctors from like all over. So like half of the doctors in the hospital had come to see me squat my baby out apparently. Um, and then of course I refused the bath. I refused uh, because we were, we were gonna rub, uh, rub in the vernix to make sure that that was good for her skin. Um, I refused. Well, actually, this hospital did really good with this, and I was very surprised because it was Kansas. They don't have a nursery. Babies are not allowed to be taken away from the mother, even if, unless it's a um, preterm or there's something wrong with the baby. Um, even if they, the weighing, all of that is done on the mother, like with the mother in the room, and they have the uh, extra, even if the baby was maybe, um, were cold or anything. They have an emergency area to work on the baby in the room. It was a very big room. So that was a really neat thing uh, because my mom had me so afraid when she was talking about a nursery. I'm like, my baby's not going in a nursery. She's staying with me. <laughs> so, but yeah, and I did skin to skin. I think for I think it was supposed to have been two hours and I was infatuated and it was maybe three or four. And then my husband did skin to skin. Um, and of course we didn't do, we didn't, I refused any vaccines initially. We do vaccine, but we do a um, delay schedule where she only does one at a time so we can review how she's reacting and things like that. Um, and so at that time I just refused all. The only thing this hospital didn't do, and it, 
that something similar happened from my second uh, pregnancy. So I think people are just really weirded out about this. They just think this is too far from for hippie for them. I, we asked for my placenta because I wanted to encapsulate it. And they claimed that they needed my placenta and something happened to me um, and they needed to get plasma or blood from it or something like that. Um, and so I was like, okay, well then can you hold my placenta, if that's the case, in ice, wherever your fridge or whatever it is. And then when you see that I'm okay and I leave the hospital, it needs to leave with me. They didn't put it in ice. They let it sit out, and so I couldn't encapsulate it because it wasn't it wasn't any good. So yeah, that was my my second birth. Um, excuse me, my first birth, and it was beautiful and lovely, and it went so much better than the fear of the thirty six weeks that led up to it from everything with the quad testing and everything. There's so much. There's so much. But I will say that we are placenta eaters, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm sorry that you didn't get to have that experience. Right. How about that? Right. Um, because it is, it was important to you, right? Um, make sure we tag your doula because she did some very important work um, for you beyond just the physiology of birth and really walking you through that and helping mm -hmm. you do that in a fun way, right? That you can remember and share that with other women when they're preparing to birth but that she advocated for you, that she reminded your providers who you hired what, you know, like you said, she said, the equipment's here. You tell me you don't know how to use it. It's, it's being offered to her that, although it could come off as being kind of like, okay, this isn't a menstrual show for all the doctors to show up and check out the black woman giving birth, which can really, you know, they're riding, they're riding in line with me on that one. <laughs> um, but I can also see it as a teaching, right? It's a teaching opportunity and that they are watching women birth on their backs every day and to see someone come in and not just accidentally give birth like that, but intentionally and to see that it can happen, it works and that you can learn how to catch a baby that way. Um, that was important. That was an important teaching opportunity um, for them. And I guess if you never said no one can come in your room, right? So they <laughs> <laughs> just kind of flowed right on <laughs> and it, 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 it's interesting you say that because it's very true because my daughter's pediatrician there chose her like he he requested her because of that he was in the room during their birth he got called in he thought it was so amazing and he was like i want to be a pediatrician for this baby so <laughs> um and also you know i i'm thinking about your approach for like vaccines. I mean, we have a range of people who vaccine, who don't vaccine. And then I think we have the range of people who are in the in-between of like, I want to do it, but I'm not really sure how to address that. I don't want it to be this like full on experience for my kid that there's, you know, you're able to make them work the way that you want them to, because it is important. Like, you know, if you decided on that route, like, knowing how your baby is going to re react to them is so important because some babies do have allergic reactions. And so being able mm -hmm. to space them out can be <clears throat> really beneficial. Like you're still being able to do what you want to do, but also give your baby space and their body space to how is this interacting with me? And I don't think a lot of people know that they have that as an option. It's either I don't do it or I do do it. 
And it's like, no, you can speak mm -hmm. with your care providers about creating a schedule that works for you and your baby. Yes. And that's actually really important to me. I, like, I joke all the time. I say I'm soggy granola. Um, because I, I, I love, I love and believe in holistic practices, but I also love and believe in science too. Um, and I, I like some chemicals. Sometimes they work for me. They keep my face clear because I got, <laughs> but, but, um, and so, but it's always important to me to know that the chemicals are non-toxic. Um, and it's always important to me to, to watch how they react to our bodies and things like that. And, and that's important to me. Um, so, and then of course, once again, uh, and we'll get into that when we talk about my postpartum, but um, Paris is, uh, is autistic. And so um, it was, we had already had all the fear with chromosome disorders and that was why we had decided to not do any vaccines at first. And then I did further research um, and then we decided to delay schedule. Um, and military, it was it was kind of hard um, because it was you know they're very anti no vaccine uh, and it, so I was already a problem and then it got even more when I said okay I'll do it but I want to do one at a time I want to do a delayed schedule um, but thankfully the pediatrician who had saw me give birth was so enamored about you know all of the holistic things he saw in my birth and how well they worked for me that he was kind of open to the flexibility of that so natasha can you tell us about how your immediate postpartum experience was then so immediately i was hurt i had a a level two tear i think it, i can't remember if it's a tear or level or what how they advocate that uh but it was a level two tear um i loved all of the products and they gave me so many amazing products you know they gave me the little water sprayer and i myself had prepared with my doula some uh witch hazel and lavender um pods pad sickles um and so i used those um religiously they helped so much um and my doula and my midwife no, excuse me, my doula and the OBGYN who, who delivered the baby kind of clashed on whether or not a SIDS bath would work for me. I listened to my doula and did the SIDS bath, but whatever, <laughs> it helped so much. Um, uh, and, and then let's see here. So I had my popsicles, I had the SIDS bath. I did not take any painkillers, even Tylenol. I, um, I, I have a thing about not, liking drugs to con necessarily control me so if i can deal with the pain or the uncomfortability i will uh just because i've had some moments where i've had painkillers i had percocets when they took my teeth out and people say i said some crazy things and i don't remember it and that made me really uncomfortable so i've never <laughs> again so i didn't really take any of the painkillers that they gave us um but i did do um a lot of leaning on my husband. My husband was so, so helpful in being supportive and being there with our daughter. The military only gave him 10 days, but he took, I think, an extra 10 out of his own leave uh, so that he could be home with me. Um, only 10 days. I hate our <laughs> infrastructure of family leave. <laughs> we talk about that so much. So by the time, because 
I am a huge um, campaigner. So at the time when, when that happened, they only had 10 days. And I made such a stink. And so many campaigns were already happening that I joined and made an even larger stink. That by the time I had my second daughter, it was in one days. <laughs> Officially, world over. <laughs> and that still isn't enough. But <laughs> right. I tell people that all the time. I was like, my first daughter, it was 10 days. The second daughter, I had to campaign and wrote letters, congressmen, and joined orgs. Yes, <laughs> yes. Rise up, okay? So you're out of the media postpartum. Walk us through what the rest of postpartum looks like. Here we say postpartum is forever. So, you know, there's that. But walk us yes. through the rest of that. And then I get, and then leading up to um, understanding Paris's needs more. Yes. So, um, so I did have postpartum depression. Uh, my postpartum depression manifested differently than what I heard postpartum depression was and what we get told postpartum depression is. And so I didn't realize I had postpartum depression. I lost myself. Like I didn't, I didn't like me. And that I think is the best way to put Yeah. I really didn't like me. I didn't focus on me. I just pretended I didn't exist. And my whole focus was taking care of my daughter and taking care of my husband. Um, I don't even think, I'm trying to, like, I, I took my daughter, I didn't have any negative feelings towards her. And that was what I always heard, you know, that's what you see in the movies. That's what you hear. If you have thoughts of harming your daughter, if you have thoughts of, I never any of those. I love being her mom. I love taking care of her. I had negative thoughts for me, I was just like, what is wrong with your body? What's wrong with you? Oh, you look a mess. <laughs> um, I was struggling to get back to working out and running and everything like that. Um, because I tried to immediately get my body back because we had that snapback culture. And so I started doing these, this hardcore, like beach body 21 day fits workout with these strict diets and uh, one meal replaced at a shake and stuff like that and working out extensively and I was getting lightheaded and passing out and my milk supply was waning and I was so frustrated with that so every it felt like everything that I was doing was um, getting in the way of being a good mom um, and then when it wasn't it was like I just didn't look myself so I didn't recognize me anyway my hair um, I had uh, postpartum hair shedding to the extreme, and then I also had um, my hair changed, and I, that's the only way to describe it. Um, I don't really like to, what's the word, uh, I don't do the curl identifier, but I had curly, kinky curly hair, and it was big long, and I worked really hard to make it, uh, to have it grow and be where it was uh, since 2012. And then 2018 is when I was going through my postpartum so six years of healthy, nourishing growth uh, that I was very proud of. And all of a sudden, it was acting like a creature from the Black Lagoon. Like, it would not do. Normally, <laughs> I wet my hair, I put a lot of conditioner through it, and then I get my detangling brush. And it don't matter how woodchuck monk I look at first, that water, the 
conditioner and detangling brush gets right through it and I can at least, you know, that creature that was on my head would not do anything. <laughs> and so I got so frustrated, I just cut my hair off. Like, didn't think about it, didn't talk to anyone. <laughs> I just cut from like, I want to say maybe mid-back hair off, just cut it off and then decided to, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was just crying in the bathroom. And then my husband told me, well, you can get locked, sweetie. You know, we can give it locked. So I called a friend and she locked my hair. Um, just, <laughs> I did not like or recognize me at all. Um, but that didn't say postpartum to me. That said, I'm failing at being me, but I'm great at being a mom, so I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just struggling. I kept saying I'm not finding my balance because you know you're supposed to balance being a mom and being a woman, and I'm just not finding the balance. But I'm. My husband was getting really concerned, um, and told me, you know, I really think you should start back therapy again because I've, I've been in therapy. I have severe uh, anxiety, uh, always have, and then of course military PTSD, um, and kind of put that off with everything that was going on with the baby. And so when I went back to therapy and everything, it was like, yeah, girl, definitely postpartum depression. <laughs> Let's start working through some, <laughs> some uh, strategies to help you get through. Um, because I didn't, we talked about, I, I don't really like medicine. I don't, especially if I feel like it's controlling my mood. It really, really makes me uncomfortable. Um, and so I had more so started, um, yoga, uh, breathing tech, uh, exercises and planning, um, a lot more to be, uh, to be more comfortable in balancing who I am versus the kids. Um, and so, uh, and that helped, uh, and it still took a while, but I, I eventually, I'm not even gonna, no, let me be honest. I didn't start feeling better until I was pregnant, but I didn't know it. So, <laughs> so my postpartum depression, I started feeling better. I started feeling better about myself. Um, I started feeling like I had a balance. Things were going good. My body was, was coming. I mean, my, my hair was gone, but I, I, I liked the way the locks look on me. Um, my husband had paid for me to go to like a makeup tutorial to see how to do my makeup night, you know, different things like that. And so I was starting to get back to spending time with friends and helping other moms find their balance. I was like, okay. And then like a couple of weeks later, <laughs> we found out I was pregnant again, which by the way, they told me I had a less than 25% chance of ever getting pregnant again. <laughs> That thing did not work. <laughs> I always tell women, I said, right that window after you've given birth, something different is going on. Like, I don't care if you had to take IVF or you waited forever to be able to have this first one. Be careful. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> so, adjustments happen. <laughs> so yeah so I started getting that balance and then we got pregnant again and my husband decided that he was getting out of the military because he felt like it was keeping him from spending time with his daughter and helping uh, me and then now we had the second child coming he was like nope I'm done so he decided he was going to medically retire from active military 
Um, so, so yeah, that was my postpartum experience, which is not like, I don't, I, I don't, well, I, I will say when I talk to other women, I hear that experience, but I don't ever see that experience broadcast on like shows or, or talked about when people write articles, they always talk about women who don't like their kids or don't recognize their kids or, or don't like being in the situation. I love motherhood at that time. I love doing things with my daughter. I love taking pictures of her, spending time with her. I hated me though. <laughs> so. No, I'm, I'm so glad you bring that up because it is true. And I, I think why we love having this space and Danielle has said this many a times, like we get to see the in-between and not just like the extremes or this one narrative of what things look like, like pregnancy, birth, postpartum, all of it looks different for every single person. And there might even be someone who can relate to bits and pieces of your story, but it's still gonna show up for them. But like, hey, I, I remember that Tosh said that she didn't like her. And there's a, you're able to make that comparison. You're able to connect those dots because you're right. In mainstream media, what we see about the journey of being a parent is not what it actually looks like. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. Whoever is writing these stories, can y'all consult with us average folks just out here having these children? <laughs> I tell my husband all the time, I was like, I was like, I don't think we're gonna get because you know, he, he cracks me up. He's always like, Go ahead and get famous so I can be a stay-at-home dad. Hurry up and go be famous. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think that advertisers are gonna want to deal with me because I'm honest. I don't pretend that my house always looks nice and clean and we got the perfect dog and plants and no, let me show you how I made this sensory project in this bucket that we got in the garage <laughs> with these sponges we got from the kitchen and some food color and some essential oils. That is honest brotherhood. You do what you do. You do what you can with what you got. <laughs> right. Right, because that is not the narrative that they're trying to push because, you know, there's society has this idea that we have to be these picture perfect people. And it's like that is that we are way away from that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking about you saying, like, I love this child, but I hate me. Like, who? Like mm -hmm. that piece of just like looking in the mirror after you've given birth and you're like, now who is she? <laughs> like, and that's not who who that's I not told the my husband one time, he, he was, I was like, I don't recognize me. Like I avoid mirrors because I look and I'm like, who is that? <laughs> like, that is not. <laughs> that is, I don't, okay, okay. Like she used to be, now, wait a minute now. <laughs> I, right. my daughter, I, was like, I used to be that girl. I know you can't okay. tell me not because I got my mom here on. No, -uh. But you are that girl, right? Like, right. You are that girl. And you know, you but it's not even about what your body looks like. It's just like seeing past oh, that. Like, so even when you're looking in the mirror, you're like yeah. looking into yourself. Like, yes. who when am I, I look now? At pictures, I can see how my, my body, not even just like how my body shape was, how my my frame was like I'm hunched over. It's like I'm trying to hide in myself. You can you can see it there. Yes, yes, that is 
Yes, it is a whole, it's all of it. Like, who am I now? Like, <laughs> because you do, no matter what, um, a piece you lose, not lose, lose is what we, we usually say, but a, a piece of you sheds off and there's yeah. this new being that you have to kind of figure out, all right, how you showing up, girl? <laughs> what are you going to be like? Um, and that can be really like scary to address or you're just like not in a place to address it because you're like, I don't know who this person is. Mm -hmm. um, and exactly. And I think, I think that's natural for all mothers. And then when you add the PPD portion in there, it just goes a little more extreme, you know, to where I was literally looking in the mirror like, who are, I don't even, mm -mm. Put, put something over the mirror, I don't know who that is. <laughs> and just avoiding it and just focusing on my daughter and leaving me to whatever. <laughs> but I think every woman, I think, you know, you're going from, me and my husband were talking about the other day, I was like, it's raining. Normally I would just sit in bed and I would bring whatever book or project I want and I would just sit in bed all day, maybe bring some tea, and, and some snacks, and I wouldn't do anything but focus on reading this book that I want to read or this project that I want to do with my little footies in bed. And I can't ever do that again. And I don't think people... <laughs> Girl, you like, hit me. That little aspect, I don't think people think about that. So, like, yes. as a woman, you can't just say, I don't want to do anything today. You can't. There's, there's no, I don't want to do anything today anymore. Um, I think I was telling my husband, you know, um, cause he was like, you know, I try to help as much as I can. I was like, yeah, but you get to have car rides. And he was like, what kind of, well, that ain't no, that ain't no, <laughs> what? I was like, no, you have to think about this. You get to sit in that car and yeah, you're dealing with traffic, but you are by yourself and there are not kids crying and yelling if you anything for you. And you don't hear, uh, the cow go move, move, move and all <laughs> and all this other stuff you just get to drive in that car or whatever you're and you can listen to any music you don't have to listen to the cowgo moo 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 because you can listen to kendrick or you can listen to cole and hear the new album i can't do that my kids can't listen to cole and kendrick and megan the stallion i want to listen but they can't so i got to listen to the cowgo moo 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 and i got to stop what i'm doing because somebody don't like this portion of the show and they want to change and i gotta stop what i'm doing because somebody want a snack i gotta stop with, and i don't every i don't get to just sit on the road with my thoughts and relax and drive <laughs> that small little thing and so it is I always say, I don't think necessarily you, that person leaves you. That person that loves Meg the Stallion songs is still in here. I just don't have time for her. She got to kind of sit in the back. Right. <laughs> I can't, you know, be listening to WAP all day. I got to... <laughs> <What is that? laughs> I'm around the house with your AirPods on all day. Like, like, oh, can't play that around the kids. Nope. Okay. <laughs> got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh but it is those even those little things and it's like yes absolutely adore our children but I would like to shower without someone pulling back a shower curtain you know <laughs> it is the little things that um you miss and that were that were a part of you 
before kiddos. And I mean, without it happening, even when we are able to like take that time and space and maybe, you know, for myself, I'm like, I'm constantly thinking about, oh, what are they doing? <laughs> I wonder what they're doing right now. <laughs> Taking naps, missing them. I'm like, God dang. <laughs> And it, it's, it's even more so like now that I'm, I'm trying to make sure that they have everything for, for uh, early intervention for autism. If I'm doing another project, like for this blog, my mom blog and stuff, I'm like, oh, I should be researching, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't get to take that breather because I'm immediately like, I should be researching how to gentle parent a child with autism because I, I, that's going to be, be different than everything I have. And so... Yeah, yeah. Mom guilt is real. Um, losing, I don't, like I said, I don't think I, I lost her. She's still there. The, that girl who can turn up at the club is still there and drink everybody under the table and shake what a mama gave. She, she's definitely there. She's just like in the back. Like She's just holding, holding, uh, holding room in the back right now. I don't have time for her. <laughs> right. Oh, we all take five minutes out of our day to reconnect with that side. Just <laughs> maybe, maybe when we go on our, our girls' trip cruise in right. about a year after Corona, right. you know, <laughs> she'll come out and be like, "Hey, y'all!" Exactly. 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 Um. So yes, you have two neurodiverse um, little ones that are. And correct me if am I am wrong. They're both on the autism spectrum. That is correct. Okay. Um, so what? So I will say uh, just to, just to be com completely honest and correct, Riley and I are currently doing the testing and evaluation process. Um, but we're pretty certain because the same signs that were there with Paris are there with Riley. Um, and while we're talking about it, I can go back to so you remember the quad testing. Mm -hmm. um, and them saying, you know, such a high risk for a genetic disorder. I personally, and you know, uh, researchers, a lot of researchers back me up, but they aren't 100% sure. They're still doing a lot of research on, on autism. I honestly think that it was genetic, uh, which is why I am going through the testing and evaluation process. We are almost 100%, I don't want to say 100, because I'm no doctor. We're about 80% sure that I was high what they what they would consider high functioning autistic uh back when i was a kid um when i was a kid i was diagnosed as gifted and, and having severe anxiety um and as they've done more research young girls especially especially minority young girls uh were misdiagnosed with either bipolar disorder or as gifted uh a lot of times who had autism because we manifested differently than white boys which is who were they were mostly diagnosing um because survival and because of different cultures um usually minority girls mask very well we're able to go into a room, assess the room, see what everyone's doing, and then project out what we think everyone needs. And then we go home and we melt down and we roll into a, a under heavy covers and read a book because we feel like we're exhausted from all of our day of fasting, <laughs> uh, which has been me my whole life. <laughs> uh, and so, um, and, and I, of course, found all this as I was researching for my children and trying to be the best mom that I could be for my, well, for Paris at the time. Um, and I just kept, everything I kept reading, I was like, oh my goodness, am I 
And then when we added on the genetic testing and we started talking about that, and then we, then we sat down with, um, with my mom and his mom, and my mom talked about them testing me and then deciding that I was gifted and, and had anxiety. And then we found out that his mom had been not necessarily keeping it from us. I don't think she understood what it meant, but that my husband's little brother is, um, they, they classified it as Asperger's, but as of now, all of that is ASD. All of that is on the autism spectrum. Um, and so what I, I think, but of course I'm not the scientist here. I think that it is genetic. And I think that maybe I had the dominant autism gene or however it is. And my husband may have had a, a, um, Lord, why can't I think of the word? Um, not dominant, but recessive. <laughs> recessive. Thank you. Uh, the recessive <laughs> autism gene. Um, and that's what made such that so high risk in the quad testing. Um, for some type of genetic disorder, but they just don't have enough research and know, you know, all this. I think that may have been what it is. Um, and maybe our daughter Riley is already showing the sign. We're pretty, very certain her. So she's already done the MCHAT, the chart that the, that the pediatrician does, and she's enrolled early in intervention program, but we still have to get her, we have the appointment to get her evaluated by the psychologist, and then we'll go on from there. But we are pretty, uh, the more I started thinking about my life, um, and the things my mom taught me, and so much how they balance off my daughter, like my mom told me my first words were sentence, and it was, and we, they had no idea what was going on. They said, I would, I would go to people and I'd be like, Bucci died. And they'd be like, who's Bucci? And why did she die? And I was going around asking people what you got because I was hungry and I wanted their food. Um, and they finally figured it out. Um, and it's just so interesting because my daughter's, not her first word, her first word was baby because of the little baby, but her second word was a full sentence. Um, because a lot of times, they, the brain is working, her brain is working so fast. She knows stuff, but she doesn't feel like she needs to show it. She doesn't understand that she needs to respond and she doesn't understand, feel like she needs to show it. And so by the time she is speaking, she's got a full sentence there. And it, it's real fast. Her brain works so fast that the words get jumbled up and mumbled. Um, and when I listen to stories about me as a kid, I'm like, yeah. And then I remember... I used to read so much. I would read when I walked, and I used to fall in ditches, and people would have to. <laughs> uh, and so it's just you are so literally weird. in the book. Take <laughs> <laughs> your whole I, body. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so a lot, but I will say this: I am. It, it's a weird thing to say. Me and my husband laugh about it, but my daughter having um, ASD and it manifesting the way it did with her allowed for me to work from home um, and, and deal with my postpartum um, in the best way that possibly could have happened. And I don't know how to explain that um, because my daughter was nonverbal. Um, and so she would just lay strapped to me. I would baby wear her with a ring sling and I would work from home, uh, and do a customer service for a financial, uh, uh, company and she would make a peep. 
And everybody told me that that was weird, but I was just like, no, she's just a good baby. <laughs> I, I did, we didn't really get into, you know, realizing that something was wrong until maybe about six months is when we started realizing things were wrong. So I've been working at the company for six months and she had made a peep. And it, and I still didn't really, I was like, well, you know, she's a baby. When I had my second child, I understood because my Riley, she started babbling and, and, and chunking up at like four months. And I would never have been able to work from home with her ever. But my parents did not make a peep. The way her autism uh, comes out, she just, she's very observant and she just wants to watch everything. And she's a sponge. She's watching and she's learning, but she's not she doesn't really feel the need to show you what she's learning. She doesn't really feel the need to interact with you at all. Um, if she doesn't like you, you'll be in the same room with her and she'll pretend you do not exist. Um, um, and so I, I would try to take her to the park to get those social reactions. And kids love her. They come up and they're like, hi, you want to play? And, and she'll, they'll talk, they're talking to her and she'll snap her head and look at me. And she'll forcefully not look at them and look at me and try to avoid them. Um, so, uh, and then she, just to give people ideas of how we knew that things were not necessarily, um, well, that she had signs of autism. Um, she doesn't respond when you call her name, except for me now. That, but that's, that took a lot of work and practice. Prior, no one. Um, she does not know how to differentiate her fingers. So, you know, like normal kids will start counting or pointing to what they want. My parents doesn't point, she'll grab you and take you to what she wants. Um, she doesn't nod or, or shake her head. And, and I'm working on that now by giving her a visual and then doing it with her, but it's still something. And she's two and a half years old now. Um, she doesn't, Let's see. Uh, she stems, uh, and that can go in a lot of different ways. She sometimes she runs in circles. Sometimes she flaps her hands. Um, sometimes she uh, rolls on the ground. Um, so it's just different ways to to try to contain, get out her emotions because uh, she, she's feeling all those emotions at once. Um, but she but she is so smart and she is so loving. Um, I, I'm really lucky. Um, I don't want to say lucky because that, that implies that some other mother who has a baby who doesn't do those things isn't lucky. But Paris's autism doesn't manifest like some other people's where she um, feels emotions. Uh, so she, she loves to tell me that she loves me and she loves to give kisses, hugs. And, and I've read that a lot of children with autism don't necessarily like uh, a public displays of affection or things like that. She also um, sleeps through the night. And I've heard that that is almost unheard of with children on the spectrum. So I am thankful for that. And, uh, and she also eats all foods. Um, and we're seeing now with Riley, um, Riley does not sleep through the night. And Riley is very much anti-textures and colors. Um, very picky about what she will and won't eat uh, and touch and feel. Um, we didn't have those issues with Paris. So, so interesting because they're same mother, same father, same dynamic and scenario, but the autism manifests very differently in, in just the two girls. Um, <clears throat> thank you for 
sharing that. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that you did and you touched on a lot of points. Um, my background is special education and specifically those on the spectrum. And so mm -hmm. I just remember working with a lot of families who, especially minority girls, who, you know, I would be, and this was before we had all the research that we have now. And I'm like talking to my directors and I'm like, this is not like, you know, for that it's labeled as gifted or sometimes it's labeled as, um, like you said, bipolar or some type of behavior disorder. And I would just remember being like, this is whatever is happening with this child is not a behavior disorder. We're dealing with something completely different, um, but not having all the research that we had then to be able to say that it was possibly them on the spectrum. Um, and so I'm just, I'm thankful that the research is out there now um, and that you were able to kind of trace back to with your family, like, oh, this is what that looked like for me. And, and this is how it's showing up because I'm definitely on the same side that I think it's genetic. But again, I'm, I'm also not a doctor, but <laughs> the way that I've seen it <laughs> with families I've worked with and then talking and like thinking about, you know, their history, I'm like, um, if we put two and two together here, it sounds like it could be something that's genetic. Um, but I just, I'm, I'm glad that you're on a, a, a to hear you being on a journey of, um, exploration for yourself, but then also being able to support your daughters through that. Um, and then, I mean, could you, you know, share I'm something that I like we adore about your page is just your sharing of that journey and, and being able to support your girls. So could you share some of, um, the things that you have, have found to be really helpful, because as you like said before, it manifests sometimes as, um, like your daughter dressed him or, or are there sensory issues or, and they're in early intervention. So what are some things that have helped, I guess, support you to be able to support them? And especially during COVID. <laughs> Absolutely. So what I said earlier about my unmotherhood being, I grab a bucket and, and hit and get some bubbles and, and some food cutting, maybe some essential oils, throw some toys in there. I have to do a sensory activity, at least one per day. Um, they, Paris especially, and now Riley as she gets older, craves sensory. And if I don't give it to her, she'll find it. And you won't like the way she finds it. So <laughs> you have to give her that sensory. So I'll do anything from something easy and low budget as buying some grits, and some pinto beans, those like $79 bag of pinto beans and uh, a bag of grits and putting them in a bucket, a uh, little plastic bucket and letting her just play, crunch it and pour it and mold it and things like that. And then sometimes, you know, I get on my little Pinterest mom, DIY mom thing and I'll make her her own sand. Um, and it's still easy. You just get you some, some flour and some cooking oil, some cheap cooking oil. Maybe if you want to, you can add some little salt or food coloring, but you don't have to. You can literally just do the flour and the cooking oil and mix it up together. And you just make sure that it has that right consistency of moldable sand so that they can make things. And you got sand for your child. Um, I do water, uh, a lot of water play because it's summer, of course, and it's Corona. Um, so I'll take them out on the deck, I do buckets, 
and you can blend. I know people, it's, it's so fun what you learn when you're looking stuff up. You can blend like baby wash or we use our seventh generation soap. Uh, we get like two or three teaspoons of that and some water and then some food color and blend it and you got foam. You can have a foam party for your kids. And I just put that in there and they play with it for at least an hour, but she's getting that sensory and sensory is important. Um, I also keep sensory items in, in their playroom. So I have everything from like those squeezy stre uh, uh, stress balls to, uh, so when I had, remember I went through my long hair journey for six years. So I have all of these um, hair, uh, the uh, curly hair wands, what are they called? I think of, but all of those things that we used to use to curl our hair, flexi Next rods, yep. and the, yeah, I got, I got all of those. Listen, I've been using those for my girls for sensory, because I'm not, because <laughs> now hair's, I'm locking my hair, and so I can't use, I can't use those things right now, so I bring them out, and they'll, they'll play with those things to the cows come home. They chew on them and everything. I'm, I just disinfect them with some bleach, and I was like, okay, here we go. Uh, you got to use what you have, mamas. It's Corona. You don't want to be keep going in and out of stores and stuff like that. I use what I have. Uh, <laughs> um, I have a schedule that I have made. Um, and we're still working on this because I, I put it at eye level with Paris and she started trying to eat it. And I was like, well, Okay, we're not ready for that. So I put it back high. So, but <laughs> but we still, I still go through the process. And what it is, is a visual schedule for her because uh, children on the spectrum are really bad and my parents is really bad with transitioning. So, okay, I'm going to stop playing with this toy, this activity, and we're going to move to this. Um, and so it's a first, then, and later, I believe. Uh, and it basically just goes through, okay, first we're gonna, you pick what, you pick your schedule, you pick what you're gonna do. And if I have something that she has to do, like her therapy, I'll say, okay, well, we gotta do Miss Maria in the middle. But before Miss Maria, what do you wanna do, Paris? And then she can pick, you know, Beto, or she can pick writing, or she can pick take a walk, and we'll put that there. And then I say, okay, and after Miss Maria, what do you wanna do? And then she'll pick that. And so then when we do the activity, what I want to do is have her take it off and put it put it back down so she can visually see her schedule as it happens. But since she started eating the paper, right now I'm taking them off <laughs> and putting them down as she completes them. <laughs> uh, but it's a visual for different uh, different things. One thing that's important to me is emotions. Um, Karen has a really hard uh, time with understanding other people's emotions uh i think and hers um but like i can tell her parents you make you hurt me you made me sad and she'll leave me and start laughing so which <laughs> work understanding sad mad frustrated those things and so um i have like matching faces where she can see the face and she can look in the mirror and we try to do the face and then she puts the face on on to match um, and then we have, of course, numbers, alphabets, shapes. Um, I try to do some weather uh, things so she can see, you know, the different clothes and different things that you do in the different um, regions of season. Uh, we have uh, some tracing. Uh, motor skills are really tough. 
for children with autism as well. Her struggles with writing. She was one, she, and I see the thing, same thing happening with Riley. Um, I tried to start, I think I started like nine months trying to get her to scribble with crayons and colored pencils and she wasn't interested. And then at one, still, no, she still wasn't, I'd say about 18 months is when she was interested, but she couldn't get it. She couldn't, she struggled with the scribbling. And even now, we have gotten her, she enjoys markers on dry erase board, on easel, um, because it's easy and she doesn't have to bear down, but she struggles with bearing down and scribbling. Um, and so I would just say also patience, understanding that um, I, I used to, when I first was had Paris and I was so focused, I threw my PD, focused on her, um, I was following this amazing app that's probably very amazing, I mean, helpful if you, if your children are, you know, neurotypical, um, called Kinedu. And it would take you through these activities that your child needs to do to meet certain milestones, and you would work with them. And I remember around six months, which is when we, we started getting an idea, me and my husband started getting frustrated because we were like, okay, are these, are they giving us activities that are for older children? Like my daughter's struggling with this. Um, so child-led, your child lets you know when they're ready. Uh, my parents will not like an activity that I think she's supposed to like and do, it's, um, which is why I moved to Montessori. Uh, from Kanedu and you know, you do like this and do this to Montessori and child-led is because I was noticing I was trying to force Paris to do these activities and she wasn't, she wasn't necessarily wanting to or, or she wasn't necessarily old to it. But then I would, when I started moving to Montessori, I would set up her environment and I would maybe leave to go make breakfast or something and I'd have the nanny cam on. And I'd be watching the nanny cam and she would fly through that activity after watching me do it. But, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> So, and the same thing with same things, you know, we try to do some call and respond and we'll be like, Paris say this, or Paris say that. And she'll be looking at us like, uh, no. And then we leave and we put on a name and she's just in there, A, I, B, B, C, C. I'm like, okay. <laughs> no one's trying to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so, She's like, Child, I don't work they, they, they are looking up information. I mean, of course, there, there are extreme uh, examples of, of autism, and then there are, are extremely high-functioning. My parents is level three. Um, she was diagnosed as level three. So she's in the middle there, and she, she learns, and she is such a sponge, and she knows so much, but I try not to force things on her anymore. I show her things. Um, and then if she doesn't want to do it, I say, okay, well, I'm just going to put that on the shelf and you can do that when you're ready. And then we move to another activity. Um, you have to get comfortable in the fact that your child may not meet the milestones of other kids and that's okay. And you still need to celebrate the milestones of your child when they do it. So when my child was doing her colors and signing and saying her colors at two and a half years old, I think some some mom was like, oh, she should have been on her colors. And I was like, okay, thanks for your input, but 
<laughs> we're here now and we're happy about it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's still a celebration. Okay. It's still a celebration. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and something that's so valuable about you sharing all of that is like even thinking of um for those who who may not have neurodiverse children this is all of that is great advice as well like all of that is is needed for our children um as well um so thank you um so much all of that is very very helpful seriously the 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 transparency that you are that you are providing is just um it's it's beautiful and it's appreciated um you know that might again fangirling, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's fangirling. Right. I, I appreciate just the normalizing black girls being neurodiverse. Um, period. Because often they are right. just well gifted or ADHD, right? Yep. So <laughs> take your pick or both. <laughs> yeah. And they have anxiety, and that's it. Yeah. I, and I think, that's think a, I think the issue was that autism was, um, I think autism was kind, has always been kind of, uh, I don't, stigmatized, um, which is why we got the whole, you know, vaccines cause autism thing. And I think people, because I get a lot and it makes me really uncomfortable. I'm always unsure how to respond. I get, well, oh, she doesn't look like she's autistic. And I'm like, well, what? do you think autistic looks like? Um, and so that is another reason why I'm kind of, because I struggle with whether or not to share Paris was autistic on my mom blog because I didn't want to seem like I was, and that's what is pandering or using their neurodiversity to, to um, grow my blog in essence. And then also, um, with that she doesn't necessarily she's not able to advocate for herself like a another child would so she can't necessarily say yet yeah, i don't want to take pictures mom you know because i've always said that if my children told me hey don't put me on your blog then that's when they're not going on the blog anymore so <laughs> so um but then i when i the more i started doing research and the more i started talking to other people even my family and they would be like well parents don't look like anything wrong with her i was like people don't really understand autism at all so somebody needs that especially the black community so somebody needs to have an example or be an example so that people can see what neurodiversity looks like in black in girl in in realness so <laughs> exactly Exactly. Um, well, is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, whether that's resources, advice, anything else from your birth? So not at all, um, because this is about birth stories and everything, I would just encourage all Black women, uh, do this not white people stuff. Listen, before any European colonizers came anywhere, African women, wives and support women who help them through childbirth and postpartum. The word doula is not even new, but even if it was, listen to me. The doula is over your support. Everybody's going to want to support the baby. But you need support too through pregnancy and postpartum. And that's what the doula's job is. 
is to support and advocate for you during pregnancy and postpartum. And it's okay to need support and help. And we are dying, specifically where I am. I'm in Georgia and the black woman maternal mortality rate is a bomb because we need support. So if you can afford it, then get a doula. If you cannot afford it, listen to me. There are some, I know in New York, they're working to have Medicaid cover a doula. Um, I know a, there is a organization here in Georgia who's working to look at the same for Georgia. So look into your insurance, ask questions, because if there is a possibility that your insurance could cover it, especially if you are high risk. And a lot of black women are high risk because we have fibroids and things like that in our background. So please do not dismiss a doula. Snaps, claps, all of it. Write it down, y'all. Write it down. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and just all the information um, just within your motherhood journey, uh, whether it's from the pregnancy, once you bring baby home, learning something's a little different about your baby than what you expected or what maybe it's not even a surprise to you just you know as things kind of come full circle and seeing a child growing up with a similar experience as you um and that we need more of that we need more of that information just how we talk about these extremes of pregnancy like the low and the high ends there's these these different levels and flow when it comes to neurodiversity and what that actually looks like for people um and, and at the end of the day they're all just better than us anyway right they're just all brilliant right. and they're just shining their world <laughs> how they see it, right? Like we create these rose colored, like, you know, life, but neuro <laughs> the neurodiverse, they definitely just give it to you how they see it. And it's, it's an experience for sure. And I'm thankful that you're sharing that listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 